Hello, this is Patrick Ridge with Transamerica, and welcome to another edition of Market Pulse with Transamerica Asset Management Chief Investment Officer, Tom Walt. Tom, welcome back. Thank you, Patrick. Nice to be back. Tom, the past month has been a pretty tough one for the markets. Um, what do you think investors should be focusing on in, in trying to sort everything out? Well, Patrick, I, I think we need to start with the fact that this past month was extremely rough for both stocks and bonds. And in my view, it was mostly driven by the latter category, bonds, which took a real hit mostly among longer-term fixed income securities as we experienced quite a dramatic one-month increase in long-term interest rates. Mm -hmm. And when longer-term interest rates rise sharply in a short time frame, it's typically going to have a negative impact on stocks as well, which is precisely what we saw. And Tom, how much of this, in your view, was this was this attributable to the Federal Reserve meeting this past month and what the Fed had to say about their outlook on future interest rates? Uh, quite a bit. Uh, and if I had to point to one single event, that would be it. Uh, but it is a bit more complicated than that. S sort of a, a series of events cascading together in, in a bit of a tangled web, so to speak, uh -huh. uh, with the Federal Reserve smack in the middle as the primary downside catalyst, you might say. Okay, how so? Because at this past meeting, the Fed actually did not raise rates, yet there was a pretty fierce downside reaction by the markets. That's right. Uh, and unfortunately, the frictional dynamics of interest rates in the bond markets have been sort of consistently building since March of last year when the Fed first started raising rates to fight inflation. Uh, as we know, since that time, the Federal Reserve has raised the Fed funds rate from a lower bound of zero to five and a quarter percent. And in so doing, while we had also seen a sharp rise in long-term interest rates, moving from about 1.6% on the 10-year Treasury yield uh, to about 3.8% back when the year began, those longer-term rates did not rise by as much as short-term rates. And so the yield curve inverted with short-term rates uh, moving higher than long-term rates. And while inverted yield curves are somewhat anomalous market conditions, usually not lasting very long, they do have a strong historical track record of preceding recessions and can therefore create a lot of market sensitivity. Okay. And this particular inverted yield curve uh, that has been in effect for almost a full year now has been one of the widest ever in terms of yield differentials between the three-month and the 10-year Treasury yields. And I think after this past September Fed meeting, based in large part on some expressed changes and expectations by Fed members, I think we are now starting to see a disinversion of the yield curve with long-term interest rates beginning to catch up to short-term rates. Uh, case in point, that 10-year Treasury yield I just mentioned has jumped by about 145 basis points since last April, from about 3.25% to more than 4.7%, and is now at its highest level since 2007. And again, when long-term rates rise by that magnitude in such a short period of time, it will be painful for both stocks and bonds. Yeah. Okay. So let's unpack all this a bit, mm -hmm, starting mm -hmm. with the inverted yield curve you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And take us back real quick. What caused that? What What caused short-term rates to move higher than long-term rates, which, as you just said, is an anomalous condition in the bond markets? Uh, yes. Well, well said, Patrick. Inverted yield curves, again, defined as short-term rates moving higher than long-term rates, have historically occurred prior to economic recessions. 
Under most economic conditions, bond investors will pay more for short-term bonds versus long-term bonds because they're having their capital return sooner and they are taking on less price risk in the event interest rates rise. So paying higher for price means getting lower yields and you typically have an upward slope in rates from short-term bonds to long-term bonds. Key word here is typically. Mm -hmm. However, that structure changes when the bond market starts to identify a recession on the horizon and fixed income investors will shift demand from short-term bonds to longer-term bonds, so to lock in longer-term rates in anticipation of future declining rates that will ultimately be necessary to revive economic growth in the future. Bond traders will also want to own longer-term bonds, uh, which will have more of a positive price impact as rates fall as well. So this increases the demand for longer-term bonds relative to short-term bonds, uh, increases their price and reduces their yield to the point that those long-term bond yields fall below those of short-term bonds. Okay, and that's what happened about a year ago? Uh, yes, in October 2022. That's when the three-month to 10-year yield curve inverted with the three-month yield moving higher than the 10-year yield. And the higher rate for the three-month yield versus the 10-year yield, in my opinion, signifies the bond market continues to anticipate a recession. And under that scenario, interest rates will ultimately have to come down as in at the point in time we actually experience negative economic growth. Uh, and when that occurs, it will likely be more advantageous for long-term bonds than it will be for short-term bonds. And how accurate has this premise been? The premise that an inverted yield curve is a signal of an upcoming recession? Very accurate, in my opinion. Uh, in fact, since 1969, an inverted three-month to 10-year Treasury yield curve has preceded all eight recessions over that time frame and has not had a false warning signal since 1966. In fact, Patrick, uh, the inverted uh, yield curve in the summer of 2019 uh, will probably go down in history as the only economic signal uh, to correctly forecast the COVID-19-induced recession in the spring of 2020. Hmm. That's fascinating history, Tom. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. we'll talk about the economy in a few minutes, but I do want to ask you, this inverted yield curve has occurred while interest rates have been rising for both short and long-term bonds. Is that unusual? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, and it's indicative of an inflationary environment that combined with increasing interest rates to combat that inflation can ultimately drive the economy into recession. It's similar in nature to the inverted yield curves that occurred prior to recessions back in 1980 and 1981. Now, Patrick, another way to look at all this is the Fed started raising rates in March of last year. As inflation continued, they kept raising. Both short-term and long-term interest rates increased, but as the market began to fear a recession sometime in the relatively near future, long-term rates did not rise by as much and were surpassed by short-term rates. And that is how this current yield curve became inverted. Not typically the way it happens, but certainly not without precedent either. In previous non-inflationary base recessions, short-term rates fall and long-term rates fall by more. Again, not how it happened this time as short-term rates rose and long-term rates rose by not as much. Now, Tom, tie this back to what we've seen over the past month, long-term rates rising by a lot over the past few weeks, and the impact that has had on the markets. 
Yes. So so here is where the plot thickens a bit, and, and unfortunately not in a great way. Okay. History infers that yield curves invert prior to recessions, but steepen back to a more normal upward slope during or by the end of recessions. That has also been the case in the last eight recessions since 1969. So what appears to be happening now is that the bond market is actually starting to look past an upcoming recession. And in that case, as has played out historically, the curve returns to an upward slope with long-term rates once again moving higher than short-term rates. And is that what could be happening now? Yes. Now, bear in mind, mathematically speaking, there are three ways a yield curve can transform from inverted to upward sloping. One, short-term rates come down. Two, long-term rates go up. Three, some combination of the two. And I think until recently, the markets were assuming the curve would normalize via the first method, short-term rates coming down without long-term rates going up. However, the Fed kind of threw cold water on that at, a, at, at this most recent meeting when, according to their participants' assessment of appropriate monetary policy, more commonly known as the Fed dot plot, uh-huh. uh, which is an anonymous survey of the Fed's 19 voting members as to where they believe future Fed, rights, Fed, Fed fund rates are likely to be, mm-hmm. this new dot plot displayed a change in the median estimate of where the Fed funds rate will be at the end of 2024, from about 4.5% to about 5%. So if you take that at face value, which I do not, uh, but more on that later, uh, but if you do fully believe this new dot plot and you believe the yield curve will disinvert and return to an upward slope by the end of next year, then the final input in that equation has to be long-term rates rising. That's just basic math. If you believe the Fed dot plot and you believe the yield curve will steepen to a flatter upward slope by the end of 2024, then rates have to go up. Mm -hmm. If you believe premises one and two, then premise three is a done deal. And unfortunately, that's what we've been seeing in the markets over the past few weeks. That's interesting. Painful, but interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I believe you have a bit of a different take on premise one, as you just referred to it, as in the market's interpretation of the Fed's new dot plot? Uh, That's right. For me, it begins with a different premise, that Fed dot plots are probably best processed with a crane or two of salt for each dot. And that's because when all is said and done, Federal Reserve dot dot plots simply reflect expectations at a given point in time, and actual future rate decisions are far more likely to be driven by upcoming economic data and events. Also, Patrick, history has shown Fed projections of future rates can be a good bit off from actual outcomes. For example, back in December 2021, the Fed's dot plot came in at a median expectation for the Fed funds rate a year out in December of 2022 at a lower bound of less than 1%. The actual Fed funds rate for December 2022 turned out to be north of 4%. In December 2018, the Fed dot plot had a median expectation of 2.9% for the Fed funds rate in December 2019. The actual rate a year later turned out to be 1.5%. This is why I think investors need to view the September meeting dot plot as a best guest estimate, but by no means a foregone conclusion or really anything close to that. So bottom line, you don't agree with the new Fed dot plot that's been wreaking havoc on the markets? Uh, No, I don't. Perhaps I agree with it for the next nine months or so, but after that, probably not. 
It would be my expectation that given declining rates of inflation and a pending economic slowdown in, in the months ahead, that the lower bound Fed funds rate by year end 2024 will likely turn out to be below the current dot plot median expectation of about 5%. In my judgment, once we start seeing weakening economic data coming in between now and year end, either the Fed's dot plot in December or the market's interpretation of it could change. But, but having said that, I think what the market has fully come to terms with is that contrary to where previous market expectations had been, uh, which, by the way, we never really agreed with, we are in more of a higher for longer interest rate environment simply in terms of when the Fed might actually begin cutting rates, which we continue to believe is unlikely to be prior uh, to the second half of 2024. Okay. And that is also what the markets are coming to terms with right now. Unfortunately, over the past year and a half, there has been too much market speculation and anticipation that the Fed would begin cutting rates early next year or even by late this year. And I think uh, that's been close to fully put to rest now. Now, Tom, we've talked a lot about bond yields and the slope of the yield curve, but ultimately this is all being driven by the economy and where it's headed. So what are your thoughts here and how does everything we've been talking about play into the markets going forward? Uh, well, well, Patrick, my judgment at this point is that even though this recently completed third quarter looks to have been a strong one in terms of uh, gross domestic product growth, the economy is likely to slow a bit during the fourth quarter and into calendar year 2024. I still believe a mild to moderate recession is probable uh, based on a variety of factors that include the lagging impacts of the Federal Reserve's previous rate hikes, downward trends of leading economic indicators, depleting consumer savings, rising credit card debt, and the resumption of student loan payment requirements. We also see core rates of inflation likely continuing to move lower and toward the 3% range moving into calendar year 2024. So while I would agree that the Fed is likely not to cut rates until the second half of 2024, my feeling at this time is that slowing economic growth or potentially even negative economic growth based on those factors I just mentioned uh, and some others is likely to result in more than two rate cuts in the second half of 2024. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily pencil any of them in before that. And what are your thoughts on the stock and bond markets between now and year-end 2023? Uh, yes. I'll stick with our call that the Fed will not raise rates between now and year-end and that they conclude this tightening cycle at a Fed funds target range, Fed funds target range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent. It is a bit of a close call as to whether or not uh, we get another rate, uh, another quarter point. Uh, hike. But I think as the economy weakens, the Fed probably holds tight from here on out. Okay. In terms of longer term rates, I'd say this past meeting has changed the playing field for at least the next few months. So while we could get some relief at the long end, I think a realistic target on the 10-year Treasury yield uh, for year-end 2023 is probably about four and a quarter percent, which of course is lower uh, than where we are now, but higher than where most had expected it to finish uh, the year a few months ago. However, looking out to the end of 2024, uh, there could be more upward pressure on the 10-year rate as the yield curve continues to steepen. Uh, we also view investment grade and high-yield corporate bonds as advantageous for investors given recently elevated yields and 
that the widely anticipated nature of a future economic downturn and the overall balance sheet management of corporations since the pandemic leads us to believe that overall credit risk is probably more benign uh, than prior to most other previous recessions. And how about for stocks between now and year end? Yeah, we are maintaining our year end 2023 price target on the S&P 500 of 4,600 and believe there is future upside to potentially record highs by the end of 2024. Tailwind catalysts for stocks uh, in the year ahead could uh, include declining inflation, the conclusion of the Fed's current tightening cycle, uh, and the ability of corporations to effectively navigate growing earnings uh, during uh, a mild to modest downturn. Uh, We also believe such conditions favor growth stocks over value. Okay, as we usually like to do, let's finish this up with a few quick summary points. Sure. What do you believe is most important for investors to take away from the market sell-off of the past month? that the Fed's expectations of the future, uh, also known as their dot plot, Mm -hmm. is a moving target subject to change, and that history clearly shows in past instances meaningful differences between those expectations and the actual path of future interest rates. Where do you think rates might go from here? We could see some relief in long-term yields over the next few months as weakening economic data starts to come in, and therefore we see a realistic year-end 2023 targets of five and a quarter percent in the lower bound Fed funds rate and about four and a quarter percent in the 10-year Treasury yield. After that, our best look into the next year uh, would be the Fed funds rate coming down into the four and a half percent range during the second half of 2024 with a flat to modestly upward sloping yield curve. And your thoughts on the economy? A mild to modest recession is still likely as we move into next year. However, markets are prepared to handle it better than most previous downturns. And we also see core rates of inflation declining into the three percent range in 2024 as well. And the credit markets. Continue to like investment grade and high yield bonds with yields now at or close to multi-year highs. And stocks? We're maintaining our year-end 2023 price target on the S&P 500 of 4,600 and believe we could see record highs by the end of 2024 as inflation mitigates, interest rates stabilize, and ultimately decline, the economic slowdown passes, and corporations navigate earnings higher. Okay, so there you have it. Tom, I think as usual, we've covered a lot in terms of both recent market activity and where you see things headed from here. Thank you for talking through it all, and we look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Patrick. Look forward to it as well. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be appropriate for all investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Indexes are unmanaged and an investor cannot invest directly in an index. The information included in the podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Inc. and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate, are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. Equities are subject to market risk meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. 
Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Growth stocks typically are particularly sensitive to market movements and may involve larger price swings because their market prices tend to reflect future expectations. Growth stocks as a group may be out of favor and underperform the overall equity market for a long period of time, for example, while the market favors value stocks. Value investing carries the risk that the market will not recognize a security's intrinsic value for a long time or that an undervalued stock is actually appropriately priced. Investments in global-slash-international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. Transamerica Asset Management Inc. TAM, is an SEC-registered investment advisor that provides asset management, fund administration and shareholder services for institutional and retail clients. The funds advised and sponsored by TAM include Transamerica Funds and Transamerica Series Trust. Transamerica Funds and Transamerica Series Trust are distributed by Transamerica Capital Inc. TCI, member FINRA. TAM is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Aegon NV, an international life insurance, pension, and asset management company. 3142150